welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today I am coming to you from Kampala, Uganda, and recently I was able to sit down with Travis Wusso from the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and we were actually able to sit down in Birmingham, Alabama while Travis was in town for the Southern Baptist Convention. Part of Travis's job with the ERLC is to, uh, to lobby Capitol Hill on behalf of religious liberty and on behalf of issues that are affecting believers in the church. And so I thought this was a great time for us to talk to Travis about general religious liberty issues that we're seeing happening on a federal level, as well as uh, this abortion debate that is raging within our nation right now, to hear from Travis what he sees as the Supreme Court's next steps on the abortion debate. So I hope you will enjoy this interview with Travis Russo. But before we have the interview, we want you to know that at Lifeline, God's Word is the foundation of our ministry and prayer is the driving force. That's why we gather as a staff to study the Bible and pray every day. We believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's love. So we wanna invite you to join us for our new podcast, The Defender Bible Study. Subscribe to The Defender Bible Study today and join us every Monday morning for a time focused on the study of scripture and how we can pray for the most vulnerable around the world. Now we hope you enjoy this interview with Travis Wusso of the ERLC. I'm so thrilled to have my friend Travis Wusso here for the Defender Podcast. And Travis works for the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and he is based in Washington, D.C. Travis is an attorney who comes from the state of Texas. The great, which, the great state of Texas. The great state of Texas. Don't mess with Texas. <laughs> the independent state of Texas. That's right. Um, Travis has been uh, is a policy expert, works on Capitol Hill. Uh, just a great friend and such a great advocate for Christian ministries and for the church to have in DC. Uh, so Travis, we just wanted you to come and first, just tell us the landscape today on a national federal level of religious liberty. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would say broadly, if you're looking at the federal level, things are much more toxic and broken down, much more partisan uh, and much more frozen than I think what you see at the state level. I mean, so a number of states have moved uh, religious liberty related bills over the last uh, couple of, uh, over this last year during their legislative cycle. Obviously, we haven't seen the same kind of thing happening um, at the federal level, but there are a number of interesting things, you know, that are moving. So, you know, one of the things that your listeners are, are probably concerned about is the Equality Act and the way that it impacts child welfare space. Um, and I think what, you know, it, just to speak about the Equality Act and its impact in the child welfare space, you there's no way to overstate, you know, the impact that it would have. I mean, it, it, it would be, it would, you know, the, what, part of what we've said is it would be a 50-state ban on Catholic charities and any other, uh, on Lifeline, any agency that, that wants to operate in a manner that's consistent with its, with its deeply held religious beliefs would no longer be allowed to operate anywhere in the United States. Um, and... You know, I think one of the things that, you know, just to contrast the Equality Act versus, you know, I'm sure that you guys are, you know, have operations in some states that have these sexual orientation, gender identity, non-discrimination statutes. A lot of them have pretty broad exemptions 
for you know for child welfare providers, for churches, for other religious nonprofits. The Equality Act has none of that. In fact, it rolls back uh, a number of the religious liberty protections that already exist in civil rights law. So, I mean, I I think what you can take from that is, is two things. One is it gives you it gives you a sense of sort of what the starting point is in terms of the other side, in terms of negotiations. Um, but I think the other, you know, the other piece is that I think most Democrats who voted for the bill, they don't really understand what's in it. Right. You know, I think most 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 Democrats uh, who are fair-minded, you know, who represent districts that have you know a strong Catholic background, you know, in the Northeast, um, you know, but but a strong faith background, they understand the role that Christians play in the child welfare space, and they and and I think they just don't, you know. For whatever reason, um, uh, you know, don't understand what the bill would do. Uh, I think some of them, you know, looked at it for what it is. This is the second one I was going to make, which is it's it's not. I mean, I think you can you can make the case that the bill is really not that serious. Right. They're not. They they know. You know, the the LGBT lobby knows that they're not firing with live rounds here because it's not going to pass the Senate. It won't get a hearing in the Senate. Uh, and so, to some extent, you know, the purpose of the bill is to lay down a marker. Uh, and you know, and be sort of an opening round of negotiations. So that's you know, we're and we're definitely watching that closely. Um, there's a number of organizations in D.C. that are watching that closely. Your listeners need to be paying attention to this. They need to be, in, you know, if you are, you know, if, if your listeners are in, you know, blue district, you know, need to be raising these concerns about child welfare. You know, it's your your listeners know, um, you know. Uh, evangelicals and Catholics make up in some places 80% of the families who are involved in foster. And so if you push all of them out of the market with that, it's all that's going to do is hurt kids. Uh, and so, you know, we need to be making this case to, you know, making this case to people who represent us. Right. So here we are, you know, we're recording this at the Southern Baptist Convention. And obviously this is something that the church is looking at hopefully with serious eyes right. what what are ways that as christians we can be proactive yeah. about these types of things we can write our legislatures right. obviously right. but even even as we pray and as we prepare our churches and we think about this how can we be preparing and be proactive yeah i think that's a great question um, i'd say two you know maybe three things so first you mentioned is you know the first thing you mentioned is prayer um, you know i think you know Public policy advocates don't talk enough about that, but we serve a God who's not far off. You know, He tells us that if we knock, the door will be answered. You know, that if we ask our Father in heaven for bread, He's not going to give us a stone. Uh, and we have to really believe that. I think that we need to, you know, we we need to pray that we will be able to continue to serve the people we call to serve in a manner that's consistent with our beliefs, first and foremost. The second is, as you mentioned, I think you know, for all of us, we need to be we need to be building relationships with our elected officials. You know, I think for too long, uh, the model of public policy engagement, this is true on both sides, has been uh, turn up the volume, you know, call and shout, you know, send nasty emails. You know, your your district office uh, would love to get to know you, whether 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 a Republican or a Democrat represents you, um, and. It's, it's through those relationships that we have seen things beginning to change in very small, you know, sort of, you know, the germination stage, but beginning to see things change. You know, when we can look at each other, trust each other, I can look at a, you know, I can look at an LGBT rights activist and say, I understand what you're trying to do. And I understand where you're coming from. I don't agree with it. 
you know, and I don't agree with it for these reasons. But I also don't think that you're trying to tear down our country. Right. We just have a different idea of what the good is, right? And when we can come to that place, I think it, it has a way of not for everybody. And don't don't you know don't don't hear me saying that you know what we need is this big you know sort of kumbaya moment because that's that's not you know that that's also not how this is going to end. But for most people, not the not not the edges, but for most people. Um, you know, your staffer on the Hill, you know, your staffer at a state office, you know, for your senator, for your representative. I think if we, you know, I, I do think that that goes a, that goes a long way. Um, you know, and the last thing that I would say is, you know, we do need to be thinking down the road about what this looks like. I mean, my, my sense of the situation, I could be wrong. This is just, you know, I live in the Beltway bubble, but my sense of things is that we're at the beginning of a long national conversation not the end of it you know so this this vote on the equality act i don't think that you know it's going to be passed next year i don't know if it'll be passed in the next 10 years or something like it uh and so we've got to figure out how to talk about these issues right and so i think you know for a lot of christians you know we are understandably afraid uh to talk about what we believe uh, because we're afraid of how we might be labeled um, but we've got to, we have to learn how to discuss these issues, not just with people who agree with us, uh, but people who disagree with us. And I think that, you know, and I think, you know, part of that is, you know, is, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, is becoming conversant with what the other side is trying to do. Now, Grant, we've got very deep disagreements about the nature of the family. We have very deep disagreements about, um, about what it, what even it means to be a, a, a human, right? Um, and... You know, but those disagreements aren't going away. And so long as we both occupy the soil of the United States of America, we're going to have to figure out how to live together. So I I know one of the things that J.D. Greer said as he addressed the Southern Baptist Convention here in Birmingham was something I've heard Dr. Moore say with ERLC for years, which is we've got to realize as believers that it was not a biblical promise that we'd be culturally relevant. Right. And so I know there's a tension even in what the ERLC does, realizing that we're living in a postmodern, post-Christian nation. Right. And so we're not culturally relevant. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't need to be apathetic towards speaking into policies and having a loud voice. Right. How can you tell the average believer in mid- Midtown America yeah. to not grow apathetic and just say we're in a postmodern, post-Christian nation, yeah. but to be, a, to be active, but yet not to be controlled by it to where they fear what's coming and what's looming, yeah. but stay true to the gospel. Yeah, well, I, I, staying true to the gospel, I think, is central to the enterprise that's ahead of us, right? right? So, you know, you, you know, you talk about the United States being a post-Christian nation or we're headed in that direction. But what that means is that you can't say pro-family and assume that anybody else on the, in, the, in your community understands what you mean by that. You can't say... Um, uh, we, we've lost these sort of common markers, right? And so what that means is that we've got to go very back to the very basics of, of these big questions. What does it mean to be a person? What is the nature of the family? Um, what does is, what is God intend for us and how do we flourish? And so you know, just to give a very practical example of, of how that plays out in some of our advocacy, we usually will lead with a biblical argument, even if we're blasting every single office on the Hill, understanding that not every, you know, not every you know, a uh, person agrees that the Bible is even a relevant resource to draw from. But we're, but we also have a missiological purpose. We're trying to, I mean, if, if we really do believe that the scriptures are uh, infallible, that they are inerrant, that they are sufficient, 
uh, and that they are the word of God that pierces between you know bone and marrow. If we really believe that, separates joints and, and cuts us to the you know to the core of our hearts, then it's one of the best tools we have. Uh, and so you know you know so again, I mean, going back you know going back to what you said about you know staying true to the gospel, I think the gospel needs to be the lead message among us. And you know as you point out, there you know the the results are up to the Lord. You know we don't know what the future is going to look like in this country. We don't know what. Um, you know what our role in it will be. It may be it may be small, right? But we still have an obligation to bear witness to what we believe, um, uh, not because of these cultural firewall issues, right? But because that's that's the last thing Christ told us to do before He ascended to heaven, is to, is to make disciples um, all across this land. So. Justin, your office is just really steps away from the Supreme Court. And I know throughout the states, you have states like New York and Massachusetts that are passing very, very uh, open legislation on abortion rights. Extreme. Extreme. Uh, The Massachusetts legislation that came out is extremely extreme. Uh, And then you've got states like where I live in Alabama and Georgia and others that have have had fetal heartbeat bills, or like yep. in Alabama where we've gone a full-out abortion ban, right. uh, putting the felony on the abortion providers. You know, a lot of folks have watched the Supreme Court. I know uh, at the end of May they decided not to hear a bill out of Indianapolis. Right. Uh, what do you see being so close to the Supreme Court and being in D.C. as kind of this court's posture on abortion? And do you think there will be a bill that they will hear? And if you were a prognosticator, which bill do you think that they're going to hear? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my proximity, I am just a couple blocks away from the court, but unfortunately that proximity doesn't afford me any special, unique insights. But, um, and, I, and I think, you know, anybody who says, you know, we, this is where the court's headed, you know, we, we don't know. It's right. a closed deliberation. But I think there's a few clues. Um, one of the... So going back to that case you mentioned earlier, you know, Box v. Indiana, this dealt with two Indiana statutes, one that was uh, a fetal remains bill, ensuring that uh, that uh, babies who have been aborted are afforded a proper burial and not treated as medical waste. That was the first piece. The second piece was a sex discrimination, sex, race, and, um, and gender. Well, sex, that's the same thing. I, there were three categories. I can't remember. Sex and, sex and race, certainly. Uh, discrimination. Uh, statute. In other words, you can't get an abortion and on and health. That's right. That's right. Uh, so that you can't get an abortion on the basis of health, sex, or race. And what the court did in those cases is it 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 um, it reversed. In other words, it upheld the fetal remains bill, and it didn't hear uh, the sex discrimination bill. And so I think what. Um, what we can sort of draw from that is that the court is still gingerly stepping into these issues, right? So, you know, if, if even a sex discrimination, race discrimination bill is too far for the court to go now, and it's worth pointing out, uh, Thomas, uh, uh, Justice Thomas wrote an incredible uh, uh, opinion, but it was a concurrence. Right. Thomas also agreed excuse me, with the other with the other eight justices that it's not yet time for the court to hear even that case, right? So, you know, if you th- sort of think of these issues on a spectrum, you know, a, a sex discrimination case is not certainly not a total ban. You know, it's it's getting at some of the edges and some of the you know the thornier issues within within the abortion debate. You know, a fetal heartbeat bill is on the other side of the spectrum, right? And so, if the court's not going to hear one, I I I think that it's um, it's a long shot that the court would hear the other. However, 
what what this you know what the way that the court you know so the Supreme Court does not have to hear every bill or I'm sorry every uh, case that comes before it. The way that a court the way that the court hears any cases it takes four justices uh, who who will vote together to what's called grant the appeal so that the case comes before it. And what those four judges are doing, those four justices are doing, is they're making a bet that they can get a fifth. Right. Right. And so, you know, the way a lot of this discussion has been is, well, you know, are the four conservatives, um, you know, going to try to, you know, force Robertson's hand? Well, the same could be true on the other side. Right. You know, that the four liberals could, you know, could, uh, you know, could pull up one of these, uh, you know, one of these heartbeat bills in an attempt to, you know, to force Roberts into a situation where, uh, where he affirms uh, Roe or affirms Casey, I think in the in the end that would produce at this point I think a fractured opinion. Uh, I mean, my sense again, I have no special insight into this, but just you know watching uh, uh, Chief Justice Roberts's tenure, uh, watching the way that that Justice Kavanaugh has uh, has conducted himself, I don't think the court is going to hear these yet. I don't think either set of the four justices are going to take the bet that they can get Roberts on their side. Um, however, with all that being said, I do think that these state bills, uh, and, the, and the truth is on both sides, are very important because they have helped clarify um, clarify the issue, and they brought this into the national discussion in a way that really hasn't been for some time. You know, and I think you know one of you know you mentioned the New York and. And Virginia and Massachusetts, Massachusetts laws. I think that we will continue to see more of these. You know what? What we're starting to see. You know, for for a long time, pro-life advocates had to deal with a pretty inconsistent argument on the other side. You know, where folks were saying, you know, it's a fundamental right. You know, this right to abortion. But you know, we also, you know, we, we don't we don't really like it, and and maybe women shouldn't do it, and it should be rare, and we should do you know whatever we can to promote. Well, we're now seeing that that. The argument is getting clearer. It's also getting more monstrous, right. um, and I think it's easier. You know, it will be easier for us uh, to uh, to make an argument against it because it's because it's more clear uh, and because it's more consistent. With all that being said, I think you know you know this is going back to the discussion that we were we were having earlier. I think as as Christians are engaging into this debate, you know, the, the polls have gotten further apart. You know, we're growing further. We're growing more divided on this, and I think as Christians, we have to also become more conversant with how the other side thinks about this. You know, how how a pro-choice activist, you know, how do they think about this? You know, and and again, I mean, as as as, uh, as paradoxical as it can seem to say this, understand what they're trying to accomplish. You know, in terms of elevating the rights of women uh, and women's autonomy over her body over the rights of the child, right? We, we need to understand why they're making that move, why they've, why they've accepted that argument, if we're ever gonna try to persuade them. And I think we can. I mean, I think the way the debate is shaping up right now um, is, is a disaster for the abortion lobby in the long run, because I think we're gonna win this argument. Um, but we also have to make sure we're making it in a way that's, that is persuasive to the other side. Right. You, and you touched on this, even on the abortion issue, how we see this divide yeah. and politically the divide is just getting greater and greater and greater and more extreme on both sides right. of the aisle. Uh, you know, you have the Democratic primary going on where, you know, moderate, well, li- liberal Democrats who were seen as very liberal a decade ago 
are now seen as moderate and are having to go more liberal in order to get the base's attention. Right. And, you know, on the other side, you see Republicans going a lot more ultra conservative, yep. alt right in order to get the base. And that leaves the church where really we're somewhere in the middle now. Right. And how do we allow how do we not allow these divisive politics to break the unity we have in the gospel when there's not a clear right and wrong as there may have been in years past? Well, that's a great question, and I think it, it's one of the great questions of our time. And unfortunately, I don't think that there are easy answers to it. Um, I would say, that, you know, the, the one of the first things that we have to do as Christians is we've got to take a really hard look at our partisan commitments. Um, and I think we've got to do two things. First is we've got to examine those and we need to think about the ways in which the party that we are affiliated with has informed our views rather than the other way around. Uh, but the second is I think we also do have an opportunity to try to persuade the party. You know, I think, for, you know, a lot of Christians are, you know, regardless of, you know, regardless of, you know, how you voted in the last few years, you know, a lot of Christians are concerned about where things are headed. Right. Um, the good news is that if we're participating in party politics, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We have the ability to shape the future of, of, of these parties moving forward uh, for good and for ill. And so I think we need to we need to look at that uh, seriously. You know, the other thing I would say is that there's, you know, civility is a topic that is, you know, is very hot right now. There's a lot of people talking about it. Um, and civility is one of those words that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, you know, I've, I have been at, I've been at more civility, you know, convenings than I can count in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the challenges that, that always emerges from these discussions around civility is, well, what do we do when our disagreements become about these really fundamental things? Can we really be civil about those things? You know, isn't it, isn't it, all, isn't it more important in those instances, you know, for us to really try to defeat the other side rather than share a table with them? Um, and this is, this is really the nub of the issue. I don't have an answer to that. You know, when, you know, when you're talking about uh, a genocide of 50 million babies, I think that it's reasonable for people to say, um, look, civility is not the answer in this particular debate, right? Uh, we need to, we need to find, we need to find other tools. Um, you know, on the other hand, um, I, I think that as, as Christians, we need to, we need to enter into this next stage of politics. Uh, I would say a political discourse in our country very wisely, because if every single issue we're engaging on is a fundamental issue around which civility is not appropriate, we, in fact, we need to get armed and not not armed physically, you know, but you, you understand what I mean. Take a more uh, aggressive uh, footing. Well, that what that means is that we're we're at the poles on everything, and the divide between the divide between us uh, grows deeper. And so, you know, again, I mean, this is kind of going back to what I was saying at the beginning of all of this. You know, at the federal level is where this is the worst. Um, it's where you have the most money driving people to the edges, and I, I think you know your listeners probably understand. You know the way that uh, you know the way that you know these single issue lobby groups you know really do you know work to, to pull folks to the polls on both sides of the issues. Um, that's not happening at the state level as much. It's it's happening less at the local level. It's happening even less within your communities, and so 
you know, to the extent that what's happening in, in Washington is downstream of what's happening in your communities, I think all of us have an obligation. I have an obligation even within the Beltway, within my community, to try to build relationships with people with whom I disagree, uh, to try to persuade them, to try to love them. Um, and if, if enough of us do that at scale, I do think that will change the, that will change the discourse in Washington and hopefully, you know, hopefully bring things, bring the temperature down. Well, thank you, Travis, for joining us tonight. I just want to encourage all of our listeners to pray for the ERLC, to pray for Travis Wusso and his team that's there in D.C. fighting for religious liberty, uh, speaking out for religious liberty. Uh, it's such an encouragement whenever I'm in D.C. on a religious liberty issue to see the ERLC staff come in, knowing that they have strong relationships on the Hill, strong relationships in the executive branch. The Lord has blessed their opportunity to make relationships. And so we're grateful for you guys and we're praying for you guys. Well, we're grateful for you guys, man. Thanks for doing all you do. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.